Welcome to the Public Safety Hour on WTMJ Now. Get to know what's facing public officials in Wisconsin and across the country. Joining Steve Scafidi, here's your expert, Annie Schwartz. I think that's our cue. Good morning, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Annie Schwartz in studio as always. Hi, Annie Schwartz. Good morning. So happy to join you in hot yoga here in the studio. <laughs> yeah, I know I'm not I, supposed to complain. I don't know if Vince and Eric were talking about They probably did. It's, it's like a 1,000 degrees in here right now. It is, but I'm, again, not going to complain because the walk to the car could kill me. Yes, and you, you showed up in a amazing coat today that, that probably would keep you warm in minus 50-degree weather. So good, See, good, good on you. I th- and first of all, let's just clear this up right now. It's raccoon, and they eat the garbage and destroy your garbage. <laughs> and cans. you made a coat out of them. So I'm I am happy to take Peta on on that one. All right. Um, but it, it's very funny. The the uh, I thought it was very Doctor Zhivago, um, you know, Lara and Doctor Zhivago. Yes. But Sherwin Hughes on our sister station there in the truth said he was thinking Frank Lucas, an American gangster. So I'm not sure. It had all of that and more. (laughs) But I see the Dr. Zhivago thing. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. I'm sticking with that. So we got a lot of things on the show today. Um, We're going to get to some some sort of lighter ones, but we have a great guest at at 9.30. Oh, you're going to, you know, this is a conversation we don't have nearly enough because we, we spend a lot of time on our public safety hour talking about law enforcement. And we need to also, you know, we need to devote time to talking about the fire service. And we don't, I don't think, spend enough time really highlighting the work that they do now the local media are always going to do the low-hanging fruit firefighting in the cold but there's so many other so many other elements to uh to what makes our fire department tick and eric dawn who's the president of the local 215 who better to talk to to? he's going to come on and tell us uh tell us all kinds of uh, all kinds of stories and there's some good news the opening of a firehouse right that is going to be the that's mm-hmm. like the first question isn't it or i shouldn't say question cuz are you happy about it is right up there with the how do you feel question right that reporters ask but you know it, this is a big deal and and i don't know that they you know we're we're so used to people saying ah you know we're going to close the firehouse we're going to get rid of this and people go yeah 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 it never happens well it did it yeah. did happen, and because of the work of you know Eric Dawn and the local two fifteen working with the city and their and their budget people, we got the firehouse back. And if you saw the house fire in Cudahy last night, a huge uh, actually it's a I think it was a, a senior living right. uh, facility. Um, where did those firefighters come from? I'm going to ask him, but my guess is they came from that recently reopened firehouse. Interesting. I actually, have the mayor of Cudahy on the show tomorrow, so. Mayor Tom Pavlik will talk to him, I uh, think, about 9.30 tomorrow on the program. So I, I just, we gotta get, we got to get to break, but I, I just wanted to tee up this one because it's kind of funny. <laughs> and it's not really public, I guess it's sort of public safety, right? Because they're talking oh, about... absolutely is public safety. Yeah, for travel sakes. on the freeways. If you haven't seen this headline, the federal DOT, Department of Transportation, not the state Department of Transportation. Actually, Wisconsin's been very good at kind of having fun with the those electronic signs we see in our, our freeways. Hey, we interviewed John Riemann on the show yeah, here. Yeah. We talked to, talked to him about, you know, how clever it was that he came up with all of those different phrases and, and, and things on the, uh, on the boards, which I think helped people pay more attention because sometimes when, you know, we'd be driving and I would, I would look up just to see, I always look up to see if there's an Amber Alert or something, but there'd be a very quick message. You know, the, 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 the feds are acting like, you know, we wrote Proust up there and it's not, it was a, yeah, one of the most recent ones was you are not a turkey. Don't drive basted. I mean, for Thanksgiving, I mean, I, look, is it a distraction? I don't know. 
I, I think no more than using your phone. <laughs> yeah, or having your dog sitting in your lap, or drinking a you know, trying to eat, and you know, all that stuff. I would worry more about that stuff. That's interesting about Wisconsin. We 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 tend to focus sometimes on the wrong things. Even when we we know there's distracted driving, we're going to ban them. Essentially, is what's happening. Not not the Wisconsin DOT again. It's the federal folks. They're saying you can't be funny on the signs. What do we What do we think of this? Let's just take the fun out of everything, Steve. I think it's the no fun league, right? It's the no fun league. It's 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 the federal government, which you know I I do some work for them, so I have to. I'm I, I never say anything it's mean. What I would say is lighten up, lighten up, Francis. Lighten up, Francis. Absolutely, lighten up, Francis is the, is the term that I use on the program. All right, so um, we're gonna take a break. After the break, there's a big report that's coming out tomorrow. I want to talk to you about this. It's it's related to the Uvalde school shooting. Mm-hmm. Uh, how many years ago is that now? Gosh, uh, Uvalde was. Oh, now I'm now I'm I, I just blanked out because you asked me. Um, we'll get to that after the break. But I think it's uh, it's certainly within the last couple of years. Yes, and it's taken that long to pull together a comprehensive report about what went wrong. We'll talk about that with Annie Schwartz, law enforcement communications expert, Public Safety Hour, WTMJ. She's always on fire, she being Annie Schwartz, law enforcement communications expert. And this is the Public Safety Hour here on WTMJ. That will not change this year and next year. So, Annie Schwartz, um, this is a serious topic, but it's one that you and I have talked about this on the program. The issue of mass shootings, um, law enforcement response, public safety response, really, because there's, there's a lot of agencies that respond to this. Uvalde, Texas, school shooting. Less than two years ago. May of 22. Yeah. I was surprised when I looked that up because for some reason, it, just like you and I were talking, you know, it feels like it was longer. Yes. And the big report comes out tomorrow, I think in the afternoon, maybe late morning, on the response and how law enforcement, public safety responded to that mass shooting. As you think about this, and we don't know the details yet, what do you think it's going to say? Well, I'm going to look at it from a communications point of view. And a very good friend of mine, a good colleague of mine, uh, is part of the uh, communications review of how did they communicate during Uvalde. And that's really what I'm going to look at. I, uh, you know, I, you know, when the report comes out, I'm going to read the thing like it's a, like it's the latest, uh, James Patterson novel because I, I, I've been part of what we call hot washes in the, I think the military calls them hot washes as well as the, in public safety. And that's when you go back and you look at what all, you know, what all happened. You know, when the Milwaukee police first did, um, uh, they did shoot reviews. They did shooting reviews. This is way back when we had the Homicide Review Commission. Uh, they used to go over the, the incident and do kind of a, a mini version of what this report is going to be. Looking back and, and, and analyzing the response is how we learn in law enforcement. It's not meant to shame anybody. Nobody's gotta, uh, you know, nobody's gotta wear the horsehair shirt or anything. They, they used to talk about best practices. I think they still talk about that. Looking yeah. post incident, what were the best practices mm-hmm. that we should be utilizing? What didn't go as planned? What can we improve on? Those types of things. We've done those on the Azana Spa shooting. We have done them on any large scale, the Sick Temple shooting. Mm-hmm. There was a, an after action on that. Uh, sometimes they're just for law enforcement and they're not shared with the public. Uh, but I, this one uh, probably will be shared with the public. Oh, I'm guessing. absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you've got Congress saying we'd like to know more. So when that happens, uh, also, you know, the sick temple shooting was not, did not become the national example of what not to do. Right. It was, it was textbook, excellent response by law enforcement. 
Uvalde was not. To put yeah. a, to, to say it nicely, was yeah. not. Yeah, I mean, we were talking before the show. You know, when you when you think about Uvalde, one of the things that stands out is because I've been around enough of these things to. Uh, I've talked about them across the country, you know, I've written about it, spoken about it on the show, talked to experts, subject matter experts on mass shootings and response. And one of the things that stands out glaringly so is that typically the the shift, and I don't know how many years, maybe you know, when they went from, hold, oh, let's see what's happening, to we got to get in there. Columbine. Columbine is, is what was? changed the, the narrative on, on um, active shooter. That's when active shooter training became went from something that was sort of an elite training for police to when it became a, a requirement for law enforcement. Because if you know, if you know, Mandalay Bay, this is such a great example, the Mandalay Bay shooting in Las Vegas at the, uh, uh, at the country music uh, festival. Right. This was the, the three, the three officers that initially went in there, made the assault on the, on the, you know, on the room where the, where the shooter was. Those are three guys that got together and so they put together what's called a hasty team. Okay, you, you, and you. We are all right. We're going up here. You're going to do this. You're going to do this. And that was that's pretty much how we, you know, how they how they got in there and neutralized the shooter. We learned from Columbine that we cannot wait. And and Uvalde is going to be is going to be an interesting piece because one of the more disturbing comments that have come out is uh, the former. I, I think he was a ch- the chief. Um, I think it was Arredondo. Uh, came out and said, well, I didn't consider myself the incident commander. Well, you don't consider yourself an incident commander. You take command. You say, Someone has to take I'm charge. the incident commander, and here's what we're going to do. But correct me if I'm wrong, because I know this was the case in, in the Oak Creek Sikh Temple shooting. We knew that it wasn't going to be our chief. It was going to be a different chief who was going to take some of the responsibilities of the communication, coordination away from our chief, who had some real specific things he had to deal with at the time, Chief John Edwards. <laughs> had to deal with on scene. So that's that's that was known ahead of time. Mm-hmm. The beauty of incident command for people who are listening, they're like, what are you talking about? This is something that really started with the fire service uh, out in California for the wildfires, uh, where you say, okay, I'm um, Annie and Steve got there, got there first. Annie's the incident commander right now. And we, we, we deploy how we need to deploy. When more people come, when people of greater rank come, you inform the rest of the people in your command, all right, we're turning incident command over to someone else. And what it sounds to me like, and again, I haven't seen the Valde report yet, but it sounds to me that it was just, you know, it was one of these, I don't know who's, I thought it was you. Well, I thought it was you. And and that shows me a, a huge breakdown in their incident command system. And the, and the reason that matters is the, the amount of time you allow a shooter to create mayhem, take lives, could be seconds, could be minutes. Those those are not positives in a response to something like this, especially in a school. Yeah, they keep killing. And and the hardest thing about active shooter training is knowing that when you are running into that to that scene, your job is to is to neutralize the shooter. You have to walk past injured people. Sometimes you're stepping over over bodies. You have the the most important thing is stop the killing, and that can be really hard for uh, for officers, even the best trained trained officers. You have got to find that shooter. You've got to neutralize that shooter. You cannot stop and tend to the wounded, and that is I I I, I think that was the hardest thing when I, I I took active shooter training because I knew that I was going to talk about it uh, as part of the police department. I obviously never. 
uh, uh, responded to to an event like that. I'm the one that shows up with the cappuccinos um, <laughs> and proud of it because, you know, those the, the, that that to me is the is the real hero work. When you think about Uvalde, Texas, really any mass shooting, have we gotten better in our response? I know this is a, an example of where we probably weren't very good. That's easy to say, even not not having seen the report. Have we gotten better? I, I think we have. Oh, absolutely. I don't. I don't think it's a. I don't think it's a question. I think we absolutely have because with every awful incident like Uvalde, we learn and we say, "All right, we don't want our town to be in a headline like that." Let's make sure. And when those when those incidents happen, I know local law enforcement all gets together and and says, "All right, so let's have another training." Whenever I see a uh, an incident uh, on national television, and you'll see it doesn't happen as much anymore. But whenever I see a a sheriff or a police chief, and they just really uh, they don't do a very good job communicating, and 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 it's and it's awful. My phone rings off the hook because that's when people say we want training. So that I think is is what you saw with Uvalde is we don't want that to be us and. I mean, Steve, we're talking about, you know, children were killed. It's not just who's in charge, but who's going to speak and be an effective speaker. And it's not how many words you use. It's not how long you speak, because I've seen this play out across the country as well. Carefully chosen words. Speak to what you know. Don't don't speculate. Don't scare people. <laughs> That's really the magic there. And that can be pre-planned from a communications perspective. Absolutely. You know, the thing, what can't happen is I responded once to a mass casualty incident, and I remember asking, it was at a, it was at a, um, a, a business, and I remember asking the communications person, I said, all right, so where's your communication? I said, you got a communications plan? She said, yes. I said, where is it? She said, it's in my office, in a binder. Well, that doesn't help us when we've now evacuated. Right. So we talk a lot about, you know, having that stuff become muscle memory almost, whether it is tactics or communication. She's Annie Schwartz, law enforcement communications expert. We have a great guest coming up after the break, Eric Dawn of the local firefighters, local 215. Yes. And lots of things to talk about, including the opening. Whenever you have a new firehouse opening, that's that's cool. And the fact that we are getting more resources for public safety is a good thing. That's part of some of the recent conversations we've had on this program and others' programs. We are reestablishing the importance of public safety in Wisconsin. That is a good thing. More of that conversation and our guest after this on WTMJ Now. Listen to the Public Safety Hour. You know that we always have guests on, usually 9.30, and today is no different. We have the honor and privilege of having from the local, Milwaukee Firefighters Local 215, their president, Eric Dawn, on the line. Good morning, Eric. Good morning. How are you? I am wonderful on this. Is it Tuesday or Wednesday? It's, it's, a, Wednesday. it's a Wednesday. If it's Wednesday, it must be Annie. That's right. And I, I got a feeling Eric is going to be upset that we didn't use This Girl's on Fire for him coming on as well. Why? Fire. Oh, I, yeah, I get it. Oh, maybe, he was li- maybe he was listening earlier. Were you listening earlier, Eric? I was. All right, so he, he heard it. There you go. Eric, i got to give you some big, uh, some big kudos to the, to the local 215. I was, uh, was honored to be at your uh, swearing-in of your local officers uh, last week, and uh, I, uh, what an honor to have the two, the two people, the two, and, and you'll correct me if I say it wrong, but the two heads of the International Association of Firefighters uh, came in town just for the local 
215 swearing in. I think that speaks to the to the the prominence of of your uh, of your organization. Yeah, it was. Uh, we had our district vice president Tom Thornburg out of Minneapolis, and then the general secretary treasurer of the IFF. And it's not small accomplishments to get them to come to an event. Um, and they come because of the good work that's being done in Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. What, what is, if, if, if we were to ask, someone were to say, well, what is the, what makes the local 215 and its members so special? What is the good work, some of the good work that we can talk about? Well, honestly, probably the biggest thing that happened recently is the reopening of Engine 17 and the mm-hmm. additional measurement at Station 36. I mean, it's been 35 years since we've opened a new firehouse. Wow. Right. I was gonna. I was gonna ask you that. It's been a long time. Yeah, I mean, and that was just building and moving a fire, an engine from another, an old firehouse to that one. So the fact that we were able to recommission Station Seventeen and provide better services to the far south side and to the neighboring communities is immaculate. Do you feel like you're, you're you're starting to see that? We know that the shared revenue legislation changed a lot of that dynamic for the city of Milwaukee. Um, are you seeing that flow of resources start the kickstart, restart some of the the excitement, the energy that's built into the, uh, the the fire side of public safety? Absolutely. I mean, for years we've said the morale's never been lower, but when the shared revenue sales tax bill passed through the state and through the city, the morale of the members actually got better for once. You know, and I'll be honest, like Milwaukee, we take a lot of runs, we see a lot of things, and when you start reopening firehouses instead of talking about closing more, it definitely increases the morale and the betterment of the members of the department. And, and response time, right? Oh, absolutely. And everything seconds, right? I mean, fires double every second. Uh, seconds matter when heart stops. Like, those are all things that are known facts. Eric, I gotta ask you. So we saw on the news. I mean, a lot of us woke up to the news this morning when we saw uh, the huge fire at the senior living uh, facility in Cudahy. That is so close to to um, the new engine house. Were they part of that response? They were. So, and they were also part of the one in Greenfield that they had uh, two mornings ago. Wow. So, so already. Are, yes, they are experiencing a heavy workload. That is, and it's a much needed. Firehouse to have opened. I think that's one of the things that the public is not aware of. They always think, you know, they think their little community, their, you know, the city of Cudahy or the the city of Milwaukee. They don't realize that um, the public safety folks; those lines don't necessarily matter to them. They're interested in saving lives and preventing tragedies. And talk about that a little bit because that responsibility is a big one. So, I'll give kudos to the chiefs in Milwaukee County for creating a shared services uh, program where we do respond into the other communities. Um, This wasn't a thing 15 years ago where we would go and respond into those communities, especially for Milwaukee. They would help each other, but Milwaukee, we always stayed out of it. And now we're all one team and we are working together to help their citizens just like they come in and help ours. I know you were part of the the discussions that that made that happen, Eric. And can you talk a little bit about what you know w- w- what the conversations were like in the early days when somebody, because somebody had to say, "Hey, why aren't we all doing this together? Why aren't we all in this together? Why should Milwaukee be an island?" It was 
it was just the internal battles of the communities. And it just took really good leadership from the chiefs to accomplish what we did with the shared services. You know, and all of our services have been cut. It's not just Milwaukee's that have been cut. Um, A lot of our suburban communities, they don't have the staffing levels we have. They're cross-staffing engines and med units, right? So there's... If a med unit's out, their engine only has two people on it. How are they going to fight a fire with two people? Like, that's not realistic. We're talking to Eric Dawn. He's the president of, of uh, Milwaukee Firefighters. Local 215. We're going to take a break here, Eric. If you can if you hang on the line, I want to ask you, we talked about some of the, the encouraging developments for public safety, some of the challenges you're facing, and maybe I want to, I, I always try to do this with the professionals out there, some, uh, some tips and ideas for people to be safer all the time. From a fire perspective, we'll do that with our guest, Eric Dawn, Milwaukee Firefighters Local 215, after this on WTMJ Now. Public Safety Hour here on WTMJ Now. Of course, Andy Schwartz alongside and a special guest today, Eric Dawn, president of the uh, Milwaukee Firefighters Local 215. Uh, before the break, Eric, we were talking about some of the uh, the positives, some of the resources now available, opening of a, of a new firehouse and all of that. There are challenges out there, especially Andy and I were just talking during the break, Firefighting in and responding in cold weather, snow and ice and all that. Talk, discuss that part of it because that's a real physical challenge for firefighters. Yeah, the cold weather is extremely difficult. The, our bodies are obviously are tighter, right? And uh, one of the things our pumps freeze, right? We use water, and so hydrants freeze up, um, engine pumps freeze up, so. Just being able to get water in some of these fires sometimes can be a challenge, especially in these extreme conditions. And then our air bottles, we only get 20 minutes to a half hour of working time. We're going outside, and our turnout gear is even freezing solid, where you have icicles dripping off your helmets. So what do you do with that special challenge? Because it doesn't take long for water to freeze. We all know that, especially when it's zero or lower. So what do you actually do? So our our drivers they really do prep the rigs very well as far as putting the icer in them keeping the pumps moving and once we have water flowing through them we never shut the water off so we'll constantly have water flowing so it doesn't freeze up solid wow and and what i'm going to when we talk about more firefighters we talk about increase in personnel the cold weather firefighting is is really rough on on personnel as far as having to rotate people in and out, isn't it? Yes, it hundred percent. Because again, our bottles only last twenty minutes to thirty minutes when we're in a fire, so we have to rotate people in and out, and they're freezing up, and so we bring in extra ambulances as warming stations. Our fire bell comes as a warming station just to keep our gear on thawed. Well, let's give them a little shout out, Eric. Uh, the fire bell club, uh, Eric just mentioned it. Steve, they are, uh, they come out, uh, for greater, uh, greater incidents, uh, large scale incidents. Uh, and they make sure that, uh, I mean, I remember as a reporter, uh, they used to offer us coffee and I always felt like, a, you know, an idiot taking a coffee when there's a guy who's on a roof, you know, right. pulling open a, you know, pulling open a space for the, the flames to go. But, um, important to give the Firebell uh, Club a shout out, uh, because they really, they do some, some good work at those, at those scenes as well. I always want to mix in some public safety uh, s- uh, tips for people. I know we, we've talked about one of the obvious ones is space heaters, and, I, and I'll let you speak to that as well. 
Um, are there other challenges that are out there, especially when it's cold? Maybe um, one, of the, one of the questions that I always get when, when we have a guest on the show in public safety is the, uh, the question about batteries causing fires. Do you see a lot of that? We don't so much in Milwaukee. It is becoming more prevalent with, obviously, the lithium-ion batteries are more flammable and dangerous because it takes a lot of water to get them out. Um, but with the cold weather, the biggest thing is space heaters and not to use your fur or your stove to heat your house. We so, find a lot of that where people will keep their oven on with the door open. I saw that on the news last night, Eric. I was watching and there was one guy who was saying, well, my heat's cut off. What am I supposed to do? I had to open up my, my oven to heat the house. And whenever I see that, I just, all the hair on the back of my neck stands up because I think about that. And I think, oh God, that, that ends, that does not end, uh, end well. Uh, you know, I, I would also ask you some of the challenges the fire department faces organizationally. Are there are there is there a, is there a wish list for the for the the fire department right now? Uh, I mean, staffing is always an issue that we've experienced for years. Um, it is getting better, and with the implementation of the sales tax shared revenue bill, the fact that we are going to get another four firehouses back in the future is a positive. I mean, that that will lessen the workload on the men and women who represent the city of Milwaukee, who serve the citizens. You mentioned those men and women who serve, and I always try to feature a couple of firefighters or dispatchers in my salute to service that I do in May every year in WTMJ. Speak to that, the incredible people you work with. There, there's, there's great stories every year. It's hard to pick a couple or, or one just because they're, they're so amazing in what they do. And it's, it's not a uh, show up for your shift and you're done. It's, it's and for many folks in public safety, it's, it's 24, seven, 365. Speak to that. Yeah. I mean, we're never off duty. I mean, yes, we work in the firehouse. That is our family in the firehouse because we do spend a lot of time there. And especially the last few years as staffing has been, we just haven't had the employees that we have needed. Um, but there are members, I, one in particular, I think he was up in Appleton, and there was a house fire that went in, and he went in and helped give everyone out to make sure everyone was safe without his gear on. Like, our guys do some incredible work on and off duty. We're talking to the president of the local fire fires, 215, Eric Don. Um uh, last words. I just want to. I want to. First of all, thank you for coming on. I always appreciate talking to you, folks, because you you do incredible work, and I can't even imagine. I don't like walking outside to go to work in the cold. And and these men and women, as you just said, fine men and women are working in these conditions. And as you said, it doesn't take long for all that water to freeze. It has to be just hellacious. So um, thanks for all the great work. And I, I just want to give you a chance to speak to the future on firefighting, public safety. What do you see as Maybe something you have to, we have to focus on from a public perspective and from the men and women who serve. What's that, what's that thing we're looking forward to in the future? I think as far as the future, like the community needs to learn what 911 is actually used for. Um, our men and women respond to, I think we've went up like 10% in call volume every year for the last 10 years. So this year we took almost 110,000 runs in the city of Milwaukee and it's an extreme amount of workload that we are putting on the men and women that are serving and protecting us. But people need to learn that 911 is for life emergencies, not for a taxi ride to the hospital or whatever they're looking for. 
and we will come and take care of whatever the issue is. I mean, just this last weekend with the major power outages, we had shuttles running people to warming shelters. So we do end up taking care of things on the backside always. But we just need to educate the citizens on what 911 actually is. Hmm. And, you know, you're talking about education. Can you throw out a few uh, a few tips here at the at the end? We talked about, you know, don't use the the oven to heat your house. Maybe a tip on space heaters. Those, you know, a couple of tips you can toss out, Eric, for our, our audience. Keep space heaters away from clothes, away from dirty laundry. If you're going to use them, we get it's important to have heat in your houses, but just be cognizant of where you're placing them. Uh, Eric Dawn, he's the president of the uh, M- MFC. Is that what MFD? MFD. Why did I say MFC? I don't Milwaukee know. Firefighters Local Two. But I'll get in trouble for that, probably. <laughs> <All right. laughs> Eric, thanks for taking the time. Appreciate you. Appreciate the work as well. Thank you, sir. Thanks Absolutely. for coming on, Eric. I appreciate it. President of the Milwaukee Firefighters Local Two Fifty. I, I love talking to these people because they they see it every day, and I, I don't think a lot of us, those non professionals, those non public safety folks. Appreciate the work they do, and the volume of calls—over a hundred thousand calls. And I'm gonna—I'm going to venture to say the majority, probably the vast majority of those, are med runs, are medical runs. Yes. Um, you know, yes, we know firefighters fight fire, but they are—they have a huge uh, uh, medical uh, uh, service that they provide to the community. Yeah, one of the textures mentioned that we we need to focus on that at some point in one of our future hours because that is a big, big part of this. That's that response, saving lives in that manner. We'll take a break here. Public Safety Hour with Annie Schwartz. More after this. Last few minutes with Annie Schwartz, Public Safety Hour here on WTMG. I always enjoy our conversations. Today we're joined by Eric Dawn. He's the president of the Milwaukee Firefighters, Local 215. And we'll continue to have guests because I just I, I learned so much. Now, there's a couple of things we want to do before we get out of here. One, we're going to get back to that DOT thing. But you always bring good news. And this is a good news story. Got to bring some good news. Uh... Got to bring some good there news go. here. Look at that. Sometimes I, 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 I'm so excited to tell you a story. I don't even hit the button. That's just, hey, people can news. hear you, kid. Um, I want to give a shout-out to uh, the Kenosha Police Department. They had their uh, uh, awards ceremony. And uh, Medal of Merit, uh, which is a, just a huge commendation for Captain Aaron Dilhoff from the Kenosha Police Department. He, deve- he, he was asked to develop a proposal and a plan uh, for an independent Kenosha Police Department SWAT team. Now, normally, when we were just talking with, with Eric Dawn about those shared services and yes. things like that, well, yes. that is often what, what police have had to do when it comes to SWAT teams. And more because this is becoming, sadly, uh, we're seeing the need for these special weapons and tactics units, uh, that we need to, you know, we need to, to have more, uh, of them and have more of those tactics that are part of the local police department. So Captain Dilhoff, uh, was able to, he, he worked on identifying equipment, training, person, huge training that goes into, uh, the SWAT officers, um, and financial. You know, those units are not cheap. There is there's special gear, there's special body armor that absorbs certain kinds of rounds of uh, of, of gunfire. There are special helmets and shields and all of this kind of uh, all of this kind of equipment. So he uh, he secured the funding, he secured the equipment, and uh, you know he's and now he's he's leading and improving uh, their their SWAT team, including and this is a big one because if you're watching the news in the last few weeks, um, he's also helped develop 
a hostage negotiation and what's called a tactical emergency medical support team. We call it TEMS. We've had Chief Lipsky on talking about right. TEMS. And I think we'll, we'll get somebody on, I, I think, in a, in a future show who can talk to us about the TEMS program because that's pretty fascinating. It's a hybrid of a, a paramedic, a police officer, and a firefighter. Uh, but, uh, you know, Captain Dilhoff delivered on every single thing that, that he that he uh, that he proposed to do or that he was asked to do. And the Kenosha Police Department has an outstanding SWAT team because of Captain Aaron Dilhoff. So he got the Medal of Merit at the Kenosha Police Department. Shout out. I'm just going to also pass on my my congratulations and thanks to the folks who responded to that Cudahy fire last night. Lots of additional firefighters. Apparently a second alarm was part of that. So all of that responding, I'm going to say manpower, men and women potentially, um, that's an incredible turnout to try to work in that weather. It's got to be insane. I, I know I'm focusing on the weather, but it, it, it is, it's uncomfortable to walk outside. Mm-hmm. Imagine working in that. Well, and, and you know what else, Steve? I think, I think it's important to, you know, to, to note how many firefighters, how much personnel was from that Engine 37 station. Yeah. I mean, the key thing that the, the president, uh, Eric, said 15 years ago didn't happen. Mm-hmm. The fact that there's that cooperative relationship, right. I've been talking about this for a year, sharing services, sharing manpower to make our lives safer. And that's, you know, that's a no-brainer. People don't always understand that, Steve. I think sometimes people think when we say we're going to be sharing services, it means you're not going to be available when I need something. Right. And I think people default to that. You know, when we talk about having a, a, a separate, uh, you know, we talk about consolidating dispatch or we talk about consolidating Firehouses. There's been a lot of talk about that in Cudahy when it comes to, you know, consolidating their operations and those shared services. And the, the, the number one thing people start to complain about is, but what if they're out doing something else when, you know, when I have a fire? Well, that's why we have shared services. Yeah, great job by the men and women who serve us in public safety. All right, um, last word on this DOT thing. Look, I know the Federal Highway Administration is really strict on this. This this is dumb to me. If I was the Wisconsin DOT, I'd push the envelope a little bit. I'd, I'd play around on the edge. They did. Just to and, see what happens. And they did. And yeah. you and I talked to John Riemann, uh, who was yeah. one of the people that, that did the, the messages, some of the more clever messages. As a communications person, what I know is the more eyes on your messaging vehicle, the better. So if more people are looking up at that sign because they want to see what, you know, quick, funny thing. Look, it, nobody's right... James Patterson's not doing these. It is, you know, it's a quick, fun sentence that gets people to look at that very important emergency response tool. Let's put it this way. The feds missed the point of the whole thing. They missed it completely. Stunning, shocking. Yeah, we're not surprised. Annie Schwartz, always great to talk to you. We'll do it again next Wednesday, the Public Safety Hour. Have a great rest of your week. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's WTMJ Now. News, opinions, Wisconsin. Everything you need to know in the Badger State and beyond. Here's your host, Steve Scafidi. And good morning, everybody. Yes, 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 it is cold. We all know that. And uh, if you got a vehicle, make sure it's maintained. Make sure that it's you're not driving around with the uh, you know the old plastic and duct tape as a windshield or a side window. That that's I know that gets you through the day, but it's not what we should be doing in the wintertime. Stop doing that, please. Have car insurance, fix your vehicle. These are all things that most people can handle. Let's try to do that. We all have money for things. It's not great to spend. I just said I had to drop like five grand in my truck this year. Did I want to spend it? No, but now I have new brakes and I feel better and some other new things in the truck. It's important to do that. 
Uh, thanks for tuning in today. I want to tell you briefly, we're going to talk some politics, not in the way that you would think, but we're going to talk some politics in, in a bit here. More about relationships and politics. I'm, I'm excited to see what you have to say about that. But I want to tell you about my Decision Wisconsin podcast. So I have kind of taken over the uh, the political podcast on WTMJ. And every week I have two new podcasts under the Decision Wisconsin banner on WTMJ. You can find them wherever you – you can search for them on wherever you get your podcasts, just Decision Wisconsin, WTMJ. Uh, you can find them at WTMJ.com, Decision Wisconsin, shows, podcasts, all of that. Obviously, it's an election year. we got the Republican National Convention in Milwaukee this summer, right, in July. So every Thursday, every Tuesday and Thursday, I should say, you can listen to one of our uh, conversations. Now, today I'm recording one for tomorrow with uh, the one, the only Charles Benson and the one, the only Mark Cass. So we've got the uh, our partners at TMJ4 and the Business Journal. They're going to join me to talk about Charles' recent trip to the Iowa caucuses. Full disclosure, I'm not a fan of that process, but he'll tell us what he saw. And then Mark Cass will kind of start laying out the... Uh, the timeline, as we get closer and closer, we're only six months away to the convention here in Milwaukee. We'll record that this afternoon after the show, and we'll have it available to you on the Decision Wisconsin podcast tomorrow. I've done them with Charles Franklin, uh, Bill McCosh, and Joseph Pecky. Well, so I've had uh, legal experts and uh, uh, attorneys and judges, Matt O'Neill, attorney, and former Milwaukee County Judge Mary Kuhnmensch did one with them last week. All available. They're always residing on our podcast page on WTMJ.com. So check them out. And as I said, I'll try to, we'll try to play some of that for you as we, um, as we record these. I'll probably play some of uh, Charles and uh, Mark on tomorrow's program, Thursday program, right here on WTMJ. So, and looking ahead to 1030, I have a guest, uh, a regular guest, comes once a month um, from Washington County, sort of my mayor-to-mayor thing. He's a county executive, but it's the same thing, local leader. Uh, Josh Showman will join us. Lots to talk about, including I'm, I'm asking all my local leaders as we kind of work through the winter how that's going. I've got uh, Cudahy Mayor Tom Pavlik will be on the show tomorrow. The the cleanup, the response, the ice, snow, all that stuff, cold weather, how they're dealing with that. We'll ask the uh, county executive that question and others at 1030 this morning. So I was reading this yesterday on one of my favorite websites, and if you listen to the show, you know that it's studyfinds.org, studyfinds.org. It takes research and data and survey information and essentially creates stories out of it. And for me, that means possible topics. So it's, it's sort of a, uh, a win-win, a lot of interesting information. And one of the more recent stories that they did had to do with relationships based on politics. Headline, love versus politics, how news coverage triggers fights in divided couples. What are we talking about? We're talking about the couples that have one Democrat, one Republican, independent, Democrat, whatever it is. Trump lovers, Trump haters, Hillary Clinton voters, uh, pick a candidate, right? Joe Biden voter, Trump voter, and how that works. Now, I've often talked about the complete, I don't understand how a, this is just football, like a divided Packers-Bears house, I don't even know how that could possibly work, as passionate as, as we are about sports. All right, so... Ratchet it up a few notches, right? Politics. What do we know? Everybody's angry about politics. So much so that people are tuning it out, i.e., historic low participation in the Iowa caucuses, which we'll ask Charles Benson about in a little bit. So on that foundation, on X today, formerly known as Twitter, I made it my show poll question. And this is where I want to get your response, because I know there's couples out there that are in this relationship Reality, right? 
One liberal, one conservative, one Democrat, one Republican, one whatever, one whatever. I don't understand how that works. Sort of. Here's the question. Show poll, if you're not on the X, which is a good life choice, as I always say, you can certainly vote on the WTMJ Talk and Text Line, 855-616-1620. Love to hear from you. Love to talk to you. So here's the question. Just like the sports world, having a household divided by political loyalties can be a bit challenging. Would you start a relationship now with someone, start a relationship with someone who completely disagrees with you about politics? Easy one. Young couple, let's say in their 20s. I don't know how this works, but a lot of people meet online now. And you you put your likes and dislikes, sort of, right? And I imagine sometimes it's politics. Let's just, you know, a fake example. I this, this man puts on here. I love Donald Trump. All about him. Make America great again. Young woman says, "I would call myself a liberal, independent," and that's just an example. I don't know these people. They're not real people. Could that work? Because, at least as far as I know, because I'm not on these sites, it's it's about common interests and likes. Would you be willing to start a relationship with someone that disagreed with you completely on politics? So I gave you some examples or some answers on the X poll. You can, as I said, you can vote on the old on the uh, WTMJ talking text line. Hell no, almost fifty percent, forty eight percent. Sure, doesn't matter. A very slim nineteen percent. Possibly question mark thirty one percent. So there's a little hesitation there. And then I've got a, a ton of comments and already 240 votes. So thanks to all who have already voted. And, and I'm going to retweet it again so you can uh, you can vote on the X if you're on the X. And follow me if you're on the X, WTMJ Steve. Easy to find. I do tweet about other things other than politics, too. So it's not a nonstop barrage of uh, insane political tweets and posts. Um, I, I'm not surprised by this. The, the high votes for hell no. That's the world we live in now. 50-50 world, right? 50-50 country, 50-50 state in Wisconsin. What do you think? 855-616-1620. And I'll give you the reason why I think it's 50-50 now. Because it's 48.3% is the exact number on the hell no. Why that is. And why that's probably not a relationship starter. I guess it could be once you got past the politics, but let's be honest. How often is that happening? politics not a uh, who's hot who's not trends of the day and things like that just talking about a, a studyfinds.org survey that suggests that couples are not making the love connection when they uh, disagree politically and uh, somebody asked a, a fair question what about you and mrs Cavini? she is she leans left right although she was a big supporter of paul ryan so i mean there's hope for everybody right um and and somebody said well that doesn't make any sense well here's the story we didn't talk about politics that was not a foundational piece of our relationship. And as you get married and you start to think about this, I go to vote, you start to realize that that's part of your life now. And as, let's be honest, all of us realize politics is so much more a front and center issue now than it used to be. That's my opinion. Um, this came out in the, you know, the, the whole uh, Bill Clinton story. Now, she was not a defender of Bill Clinton by any stretch of the imagination, but relatives of hers were, some were. 
And I had a problem with that. But, you know, we didn't end relationships because of, of that. I'm talking about the, the aspect of, of starting a relationship. I think it's too big of an issue now. You can't ignore it. It's politics is everything now. It's infected sports and entertainments, awards shows. You, you pick a topic. It's infected everything, often with stupidity, which I'll get to in the next segment. Trust me. And nonsense, i.e., election stolen. Let's have an election do-over. You know, all of that crazy stuff, crazy town, loony, loony tunes. So it's a fair question. We didn't make that the foundation of a relationship. And I've been married for 37 years and have known my wife, Kathy, for longer than that. But do we agree politically on things? No, but there's actually a lot more common ground than you would expect, which is often the case with people that disagree politically. But you can't get past it because some knuckleheads that do what I do can't let you get past it, and it consumes everything about your life. Not on this station. So it's an interesting time in America, right? From the WTMJ talk and text line, I got that all out, didn't I? Uh, My son, age 28, didn't specify his political inclinations in a dating app. He met a young woman in a public place on a blind date, and she poured a margarita over his head to out him as a closet Republican. My son is a middle-of-the-road conservative and is simply trying to keep an open mind. He's now engaged to a lovely woman who has without much political inclination. Go figure. To the woman who poured the margarita over his her son's head, you are an idiot. An absolute idiot. Whether you like him or not is a different question. You don't have the right to take his political observations, comments, inclinations, and use that as a, a reason to embarrass them, in this case, dump a margarita over his head. From the 262, my parents will be married 60 years next month. She's a Democrat, blue-collar, uh, grew up outside of Chicago. My dad came from Europe. He's a Republican. And to make matters even funnier, she's a diehard Cub fan. He's a diehard Sox fan. Married 60 years. Classic examples of how it can work, at least how it used to. And there's a distinction there. That's the uh, the dazzling detail of this conversation. It used to be easier. It's much harder now. Could it work? Sure. I mean, there's these famous examples of uh, you know husband and wives who are you know TV commentators, political experts, in air quotes. James Carville and whatever whatever his wife's name. I can't think of it off the top of my head. Carville, Democrat, his wife, a staunch Republican conservative. They've been married for a long time. Uh, from 414, I'm independent, which might be one reason why I'm 51 and single. I wish you well. It's okay to be an independent. Most Americans are now. Because you know why that is, folks? They've seen how parties act, which is going to be my talking point for the next segment, which we're going to get to after this break. This is I'm, I, I'm doing this for a reason. It's not to... Again, punish Republicans. I just want you to hear. I've been talking about this for seven years on this show and on this station. This is what politics is now. The absurdity of what people who run for office and people who are in office say. In this case, about one individual. That's after the break on WTMJ. This will be a quick segment, but I just want to point point out to you the absurdity of politics. First clip is from Sean Hannity. 
Who's he talking to? Senator Ted Cruz. This is what he said. Congratulations to President Trump on that dominating victory. And, and at this point, I, I believe this race is over. So, so I am proud to endorse Donald Trump for president of the United States. I look forward to supporting him enthusiastically because I think it's time for the Republican Party to unite, for us to come together. All right, that was Ted Cruz. I think it was last night or the night before on Sean Hannity on Fox. This is also Ted Cruz. Listen. I don't get angry often. But you mess with my wife, you mess with my kids, that'll do it every time. Donald, you're a sniveling coward and leave Heidi the hell alone. I'm going to tell you what I really think of Donald Trump. This man is a pathological liar. He doesn't know the difference between truth and lies. He lies practically every word that comes out of his mouth. Donald does seem to have an issue with women. Donald doesn't like strong women. Strong women scare Donald. That is, in a about a minute of audio, maybe less than that, a perfect snapshot of what ails us. The stupidity of politics, the insanity of the argument, using the words of the actual people involved, a pretty high-profile senator from the state of Texas. He sure got over that uh, enthusiastic dislike of the uh, former President Donald Trump pretty quick. Politics 101, if you pay attention. If you don't, well, you get what you get. Oh, I love this hour, this visits. Once a month, uh, Washington County's Executive Josh Shulman joins me in studio, and we'll continue that relationship on throughout this year and beyond. Sounds great. Yeah, you're running unopposed, so I, you're I, not going anywhere, that, apparently. That's right, four more years, four more years. Is it four years? Yeah, yeah. four-year term. So. so good for you. I, I, I was telling the story, I, my second term, I ran unopposed. I take pride in that, and you should, too. That means, for the most part, the public's saying, job well done. Yeah, I completely agree, and I, I mean, there were... There was a certainly. There's always a group, right? Everybody, you can't keep everybody happy. So there's a group working real hard to find someone to run. They were unsuccessful in that venture, and I think it just speaks to the wins that we've racked up over the last four years, and and most importantly, serving, focusing on the people of Washington County and not the institutions and the bureaucracy. Um, just cutting through it all and delivering for folks who live their daily lives. All right, so I, I love to make news when, when you're in. So okay. <laughs> you had this high-profile back-and-forth with the mayor of Milwaukee, oh Cavalier gosh. Johnson. It was about <laughs> the, you know, the sales tax, and obviously yeah. up in Washington County, you don't have to pay that extra bit. Yeah. So what was the motivation to, to put in a post the, the thoughts? And what was your first post on it? I, I remember reading it, but I don't remember what it yeah, was. Yeah, the first post was, uh, I welcome our neighbors from Milwaukee, Milwaukee County to come right. up and and you know, save a few of their dollars right. uh, on purchases. And, and you know, it just kind of evolved. I posted again a week later or something like that, a few days later, and kind of basically the same thing, and then gave an exhibit A of <laughs> right. a furniture set at Ashley Furniture and how yes. you'd save, I don't know, 65 100 75 bucks, something like that. And oh, by the way, the difference is real. Oh, It's 100%. not an imaginary difference. No. And no. I, I get the fact and the argument that's been made in, in defense of uh, Mayor Johnson and defense of the taxes. Well, this is all part of the shared revenue bill, which you supported. 
Yes. Yeah. 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 So that's the irony of the whole thing. Look, I mean, you know, for the longest time, the argument to have the sales tax in the city of Milwaukee was we were we we're going to put it to referendum, give people a choice, and then all of a sudden that stopped. And we need the people who come from Waukesha and Washington and Ozaki to to pay their fair share when they come in. You know, half of my county comes down to work in Milwaukee County or, or Waukesha County every single day. And you know, I get the argument. But then for me to say, well, yeah, well, then we'd like Milwaukee County people to come up and save a few bucks and shop at our stores and go to our restaurants. And it just, you know, blew up. I mean, I, I you know, the mayor stepped in it and used the word Cracker Barrel, yes. uh, which, you know, also, by the way, big fan of Cracker over. Barrel. Cra- if, if I, I love Cracker yeah, Barrel. Yeah, the peach cobbler's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I need a new I need, I need a news bite. This is the news bite part. So roll tape or whatever we do. <laughs> Why do you hate Milwaukee, Washington <laughs> County Executive Josh Showman? So share, the, the shared revenue bill, I think, was a win-win-win. It gives Milwaukee's government, I don't think anybody would argue, uh, hasn't been run great for the last several decades. That, that There's no argument in that. that. That's why they've been asking for over a decade, whether it was Scott Walker or Chris Abley or David Crowley or... Uh, former mayor, the current mayor, it doesn't matter. They've been asking for new revenue for a long time. And this bill allowed for that to happen. And it allowed for counties and municipalities all over the state to get a little something. And my sales tax is now a couple percentage points lower than Milwaukee's. And bottom line is you don't represent Milwaukee or Milwaukee County. You represent Washington County, and it's in your best interest to push that agenda. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure the mayor and the county executive want to have folks from Washington County come down and go to Brewers games and Bucks games and Summerfest. And I want people from Milwaukee to come up and go to Holy Hill and check out some of our fine dining opportunities. And there is more than just Cracker Barrel. I Uh, imagine there's some good supper clubs up there. There are some fantastic. Friday Night Fish fries you'd be surprised how many from people from milwaukee and milwaukee county come up all right because i want to move on so you don't hate <laughs> on the record you don't hate milwaukee or milwaukee county you don't hate mayor cavalier johnson or county executive david crowley hate hate is a hate, strong word hate is a very strong word there's no such thing <laughs> we disagree on on many things no doubt but we all, david and i get along very very well what about cavalier johnson I, I've only honestly met the guy a time or two. Um, but can I, you bring, know, you, can I, I well, bring you together at some I, point? I'm on, on air. I'm inviting Mayor Johnson to Here. come and have Peach Cobbler with me at Cracker Barrel, Germantown. I think that's a, I'll that, buy. That's a wonderful gesture. And who doesn't like Peach Cobbler, actually? <laughs> I would prefer apple pie, but, I mean, everybody's different. Yeah. All right, so one of the things that I'm doing with local leaders is I want to know, this has been a challenging week or so with extreme cold. We had yeah. the, the snowstorms. First it was wet, then it was, you know, uh, heavy snow, uh, really cold temperatures. How is Washington County dealing with that reality, weather reality? Well, we've got some extremely hardworking people um, still working on it uh, each and every day. We came down uh, by the split 41-45, and as we were coming through, our highway crews, I think there was four or five trucks right in a row, and a, one of the biggest snow blowers you've ever seen blowing snow off of the side of the interstate, and that's going on everywhere. So huge shout-out to... Highway Department employees, public works crews at every level of government, you know, and and to all the people who are frustrated when the plow comes by and fills your driveway up or the puts the big mounds of snow so you can't see as you go out, you know, please be patient. When I don't remember the last time we got two feet of snow in the course of five days in Washington, yeah. West Bend, we got eighteen inches of snow in, on Friday alone. I would imagine that uh, for the counties, uh, local communities, 
not having severe weather for most of November and December allowed you to kind of get everything set, get your equipment ready, your stockpiles of salt, all of that. You probably were in good shape to deal with what it was a pretty unexpected week of weather. Yeah, and we and we were like, holy cow, our budget's going to be in fantastic shape. <laughs> right. And we should have known we were going to pay for it. Yeah, we always do, <laughs> don't we, in Wisconsin? We always get that, that bombardment of snow. Looks like it's going to be warm next week, so a different problem is going to be uh, water. Yeah, so keep in mind, everyone, it, if it rains the way they say it's going to rain, uh, we're going to have flooding like crazy. So go out there and you know shovel out those storm sewer basins and, and anything where water flows, give it a chance to flow because, boy, it's going to get messy if that rain is, is what they're saying it could yeah, be. Yeah, get the, the ice and snow out of the way so the water can move somewhere because if it doesn't, it's just going to create a lot of slick areas and, and dangerous areas. We're going to take a break. We're joined as we are once a month by the county executive of Washington County, Josh Showman. Lots to talk about beyond just the weather and this uh, supposed friction between the, the county executive <laughs> Milwaukee. Love, love. Love. It's a love fest, basically, on this show. All right. Doing a little mayor to county executive conversation in this hour, which is going to be something I'm going to do a lot of in 2024. We talked about the uh, putting the challenges of uh, being a, a local leader in this sort of crazy January that we have after a spectacular December. Real quick on the Packers, though, you got to be excited about that. Oh man, everybody's on the love train. <laughs> Today's right. theme is is all you need is love. Is that your theme? Yeah, today? Love the mayor. Oh, love yeah. your neighbor. All right. Love the Packers. Completely different things, but um, <laughs> yeah. did you have a Packers party? Yeah, I had a Packers party. Uh, Seriously, I, did you think they were going to win? I, to be, Before no, the game? No. no. So we, you know, the Packers make the playoffs. Everybody's surprised. I tell my team, hey, let's do a campaign celebration because I have no opponent, and we'll do it. We'll combine it with a Packers Smart. party. Smart. Free beer, you know, free uh, appetizers, free food. I guess my invitation Packers. was somewhere lost. <laughs> it's still in the mail. Yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. So. You know, 75 people show up, and we're all thinking, well... It's 75 people? 75 people wow. showed up. That's a Packers party. All, we're all thinking, oh, you know, everybody will start lingering away at halftime when we're down 40. No. Everybody was going nuts. It was so much fun. It was that kind of game. It was that kind of game. And it's it's it hasn't happened a lot with the Green Bay Packers because they've been so good for so long, but when you have an unexpected response from the team, which that was, I mean, at one point there, two times, 27 and nothing, which was... Mind-boggling, and then at one point in the second half, forty-eight to sixteen. Yeah, I was it was nuts, but I got to tell you, Steve, I, I missed your tweets. You know why? Because I was at a play. I was uh, at Funny Girl at the market, so I, I couldn't be tweet. Some bunch of people because I tweet a lot about the Packers. You do. Yes. I casually flip yeah. through Twitter as I'm watching Packer games. Yeah, and no, I'm always interested in what you. Have I to was say. being the good husband. That was my <laughs> wife's Chris, one of her Christmas presents, and I had to be the good husband. Had to. They made it easy because they were up so big. I had to put the phone down at the Marcus and not pay attention. Well, I'm glad you got some brownie points out of it. All right, let's talk about some Washington County stuff uh, yeah. and some of the things you're doing. One of the things I'm issues I'm passionate about is lead poisoning. It's a big yeah. problem. Frankly, it should have been resolved a lot earlier, but uh, Washington County is doing some really important stuff in that area. Yeah, it, it, we are really working on it, and lead is a very concerning issue. I know people in Milwaukee know that probably better than most uh, throughout the state, but it, it's a problem all across the state of Wisconsin, and uh, the federal government, uh, through some of their spending has uh, allocated some dollars to get this uh, under control and taken care of and city of west bend in washington county has about 850 lead laterals uh, and that's something that that the county i think is is really near and dear to our heart it touches every priority area access to basic needs safe and secure community um, economic growth and vitality is super important to what we do 
and we want to help try to solve that issue. Uh, the thing I would also point out to folks who are listening is it's not just lead laterals, right? It's lead paint in houses. Right. And there's all kinds of sources of lead. And so being cognizant of it and thinking of it and understanding the impacts, uh, especially for growth and development of, of young children, super important. And, and we're happy to be able to partner with Ozaki County. Uh, our, our public health department is consolidated. Another one of those them. relationships that matter with local local leaders. Exactly. Yeah. So um, spreading the word and really trying to you know put together some collaborative efforts to be able to mitigate those those lead concerns. I've had these conversations before. When you're talking about lead, it's basically communities with older housing stock, right? So, and you've got some old houses in, in your in your county. Yeah, that's right. I mean, we Milwaukee and, and West Bend shared uh, the the heritage of of Kilbourne, and we were founded, you know, back in the mid 1800s. And the central part of the city of West Bend is is really pretty old, and a lot of those homes in the central part of the city have uh, lead laterals. And so we're working diligently with uh, the city of West Bend to try and put together a plan to tackle that um you know i think it's something in washington county ours is a little bit more manageable we could we could tackle in a decade and i'm confident um is that the goal that's that's what I'd love to see. I, I I wouldn't say it's a goal yet. Working together with Mayor, Mayor Joel Ongert there in the city has been great. Um, I'm starting conversations with city council members. You know, administration has been a bit difficult to work with. Um, so I'm hoping working directly with the city, um, the mayor, and you know the people of West Bend, we can resolve this issue and hopefully f- fix some roads while we're doing it. Those laterals go all the way out to the main, as you know, as mayor. Yeah, and, and it's it's a big problem. Um, does it surprise you it's taken this long? To, I mean, it seems like we should have had this under control by now. I think it's such a big problem, yeah. uh, financially speaking, that uh, municipalities couldn't figure out how to get it done. And now that there's some federal dollars at play, and and you know, in our case, we don't qualify for any of those federal dollars um, for reasons I could expound upon later. But uh, the bottom line is the county has decided we need to step up and help the city. This is this is really we we think we could spend upwards of twenty or thirty million dollars um, just to get the large bulk of those lead laterals done. I mean, as you know, city government trying to take on a thirty million dollar right. project that's that's a big heavy lift. I think in Old Creek our budget was twenty three million at one yeah. point for, for the year. So th- that's not a realistic expectation. But it if doesn't. you do it over time with a smart plan, I think you can, it can make that work. Uh, we got to talk about Martin Luther King. That day was Monday. What did you guys do up in Washington County? Yeah, so it was it was a great opportunity for us to you know give back at the day of service, and so we kind of rallied all the county employees, uh, did a food drive, and helped out uh, the food pantry in the village of Kewaskum and the village of Slinger. You know, no most people don't think, oh well, you know, do those places really ha- have those kinds of needs? The answer is unequivocally yes, uh, and it was great to be able to work together with a number of employees throughout the county and have a small group that went and delivered that food on, on Monday. So we'll probably nice, do that. Nice gesture by Washington County and yourself and your and your community. All right, we'll take a break. A few other things you want to get off our, our chest and talk about with the uh, executive, county executive of Washington County, Josh Shulman. We'll do that and wrap it up with him in the 10 o'clock hour right here on WTMJ Now. Special guest joins me once a month, and we're going to have a lot more local leaders on the show in 2024, so get ready for that. Probably going to be on Thursday mornings, 9 o'clock hour, so, uh, and we're going to do one of those tomorrow with the... Uh, Friend and mayor of the city of Cudahy, Mayor Tom Pavlik, will join me at 9.30 talking about some of their challenges with all the snow and ice and, and cold weather. Um, wanted to, I always like to tout the local leaders. So this is something you mentioned a few appearances ago. 
You did you win an Emmy? How did that work exactly? Tell, tell <laughs> yeah. the folks what that was. Yeah, so uh, a couple of years ago, I worked with uh, Wisconsin Counties Association and Discover Media Works. Those are the the guys that run Discover Wisconsin, and uh, we created a, a new brand, if you will, called Uniquely Wisconsin. Working with individual counties and elevating the stories of the people. Um, Discover Wisconsin is about the places. Uh, Uniquely Wisconsin is about the people, and so we've done all these stories. Washington County's done six. There's been stories in Marathon and Price and all over the state of Wisconsin, uh, and we're super excited about it and even more excited. Of course, the Emmys were just the other night, and uh, a few months back, uh, the regional Emmys were awarded, and we were awarded an Emmy for a story up at Stony Acres Farm in Athens, Wisconsin, which is just northwest of Wausau, yeah. uh, an awesome farm-to-table, uh, multi-generational story, and it, it really is just the essence of, of Wisconsin. The, one of my favorite lines from that particular episode is, the, the young man who now owns it took over the farm and now runs it, uh, brewery and farm-to-table pizza, uh, says, it's this is the little uh, red barn on the license plate, the iconography of Wisconsin. Hmm. And I just thought... Yeah, it's the perfect example of kind of the next generation of what Wisconsin is. You use the word unique, and yeah. because I'm a fan of local leaders and local governments, um, what's unique about Washington County? Well, uh, uh, people helping people, um, people loving one another, and I and I think that's what I, you know. I, I use that term all the time, and we used it a little bit earlier, and I and I think that's what it's about. We want to be a welcoming place uh, for people certainly who, who want to live in Washington County and give back to one another, um, but also for visitors. I mean, that's that's what it's about. Um, and I think it's what makes uh, Washington County special. Who's your biggest employer up there? Um, largest employer is probably West Bend Mutual Insurance, is my guess. Uh. Um, certainly in the top five or ten. Um, yeah. So let me let me ask you this. We, we started talking about the fact that you're unopposed. Yes. So, and I've been in that situation. When you have that Amount of time and energy that you don't have to devote to a campaign, where's that time and energy going to go for your your role as county executive in, in this period right now? The people of Washington County, unequivocally. What does that mean? It means that I'm interested in driving their concerns, their issues, um, their their hopes and dreams. Um, you know, hearing directly from them. We have listening sessions on, on Friday and Saturday, um, most of the day Saturday, and just getting feedback directly from them on what they want to see out of county government. You know, 100, over 100 years ago, um, you know, Teddy Roosevelt and, and Bob LaFollette and all these guys led a, a populist movement at the time, really trying to focus um, – away from the monopolies and the big land barons, uh, the railroads, and really focus on the people. And I feel like over the course of 100 years, uh, the new monopolies of today are the bureaucracy and the institutions. We've created all these rules. We've created all these processes, and we've forgotten this is really about the people. And I think that's what you see in our politics is this backlash. Like right. too much too much red tape, too much, um, too many rules and regulations. And, like, let's get focused on how do we help Human beings. Washington County Executive Josh Showman joining us in studio as he does once a month. Uh, you and I, we haven't talked about this recently, but I know you're very vested in all of the other local leaders in the state. What has been on their minds in your conversations with those, you know, county executive, other county executives, other mayors, and, and the folks that you kind of assemble with occasionally? What's on their mind? What's the passionate 
topic of conversation. I, I think looking over the course of the next decade or two and the sustainability of operations, you know, Fire and EMS for, is a really great uh, anecdotal example. Uh, the need, the call volume is skyrocketing. Our aging population's driving that. How do we add more fire and firefighters, paramedics, resources to public safety? And our revenues ca- still capped. I mean, the shared revenue certainly helped. It was a great shot in the arm, biggest in a in a generation. But it doesn't really move the ball forward. It just helps with the status quo. So, how do we maintain quality of life long term? Not just looking one annual budget to the next annual budget. You know, we mentioned the shared revenue bill, and, and we we started you know having some fun with the with the conversation between you and the and the Milwaukee Mayor Cavalier Johnson. But on that question, they've had a a chance to reset. Did it also reset county budgets? Is this the reset? But talk about the specifics of how you go forward after this reset. Yeah, it it, it really. I wouldn't say it was a reset. It was it was a, a an opportunity to allow us to catch our breath uh, and and reassess and reevaluate. I wouldn't say reset. So what I mean by that is, you know, like any business. Uh, our annual cost to continue is pr- probably three or four percent. You get, think of everything: co- uh, employee raises, health insurance increases, utilities, the same stuff you have at home or in your business. We've got that same same, same type of thing. So, how do you afford a three or four percent increase in expense when property tax levy caps only allow for one or two percent increase in revenue? That that problem is still going to continue. This shared revenue bill gave us an opportunity to stop actually breathe for a second and re reevaluate everything we're doing. And I think that's what it's about. And and I'll come back to where I started. You gotta start by focusing on what do the people need. I, I think it's where the the tension between the mayor and I came from. I look at if you're gonna go buy an engagement ring for for your your um future spouse, I mean it's a it's an expensive fifteen hundred, two thousand dollar experience. Save a hundred bucks by coming to a different county. Where you live matters. Uh, those decisions on how your local government runs matter. What time are you going to be able to pick up the trash or have to choose between that and plowing snow and moving right. snow? That Those things matter. So I think that's what we've got to get focused on. I think local elected officials are concerned about that. And over the course of the next several years, we're going to have to continue to put forward solutions and not just com- keep complaining about it. I didn't ask you this question before. Were you surprised at the, the backlash that that all, you know, the attention got it made the local news, of I, course? Well, it made the lo- it made national news, right. and that's what really surprised me. I, I was, I certainly was surprised by the mayor's reaction, but um, you know, I, I was most encouraged by hearing from people locally um, saying, yeah, you know, w- we really appreciate the the fiscal responsibility in Washington County, and that's a heck of a contrast with what we're seeing in the city. So when the, when the mayor of Milwaukee comes on the show, Cavalier Johnson, I will extend your invitation to have breakfast, lunch, or dinner at Cracker Barrel up in Washington. Let's County. do it. I love it. All right, Thanks, Mayor sir. Cavalier Johnson, you've heard the uh, the uh, outreach there. Let's see if we can make that happen. <laughs> uh, have a great rest of January. We'll do it again in February. The uh, County Executive, Washington County, Josh Showman. Thanks, Steve. Go Pack Go. There you go. All right. Uh, coming up in the uh, eleven o'clock hour, we're just talking about Packers there. Uh, from Sports Illustrated, one of their uh, Packers Central writers. We'll talk about this weekend's game with the 49ers. Big excitement Saturday nights. I think local starts like 7.15, something like that. Uh, you can hear all the post and pregame right here on WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's WTMJ Now. News, opinions, Wisconsin. Everything you need to know in the Badger State and beyond. Here's your host, Steve Scafidi.
Welcome to the 11 o'clock hour on WTMJ. I am Steve, as Big Voice Guy just said, and uh, we have to talk about Packers, right? So all this week, I've been mixing in a little Packers love, a little Packers content. Today's edition is involving a guest. So we are joined on the Tri-County Contracting Hotline by Jacob, Jacob Westendorf, writer of Packers Central, cover of all things Packers, who joins us. Hey, hey, Jacob. Hey, Steve, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So somebody that writes about the Packers certainly covers the team. Did you have the fans' reaction to what we all witnessed, which was sort of astounding and incredible and amazing on Sunday? Yeah, I try and do both as best I can, but I've never hidden from the fact that, like, you know, I've rooted for this team since I was four years old, so that's (laughs) not not something that just goes away, you know? So uh, it was jarring. Uh, I, I did pick the Packers to win ultimately, uh, but I did not expect them to jump out to a 20. Like, this game was a beating. I know the final score says they only won by 16 points, but, I mean, it was 48 to 16. I don't know how everyone else felt, but I thought the game was over at 27 to nothing. And then, you know, obviously we get into the later parts of the game. And if you didn't think it was over at 27 nothing, then 34 to 10 after Dallas kicked the field goal to start the half and the Packers just stuff it right in the end zone right after that. It was one of the best performances I've ever seen. Uh, and in my opinion, probably their best playoff moment since what the Super Bowl in 2010, maybe the Dallas game in 2016, 17 season comes to mind, but I think this game was better. Yeah. So first of all, Kudos for picking the team. Not a lot of people pick the Packers as a, as a favorite in that game. And, and, you know, you can point to all the things, the obvious things that the announcers said. I think they had a 16-game home winning streak going back a couple of years. The team is, was a top defensive team. I guess, I guess the obvious question is, how did they do it against a team that a lot of people thought this could be a Super Bowl edition of the Dallas Cowboys? Yeah, everything as it often does in football starts up front. And the Packers, the biggest thing for them was, to, you know, can they block Demarcus Lawrence? Can they block Michael Parsons? In the first two plays of the game, it was kind of like, uh-oh, like this might be a really long day because the Cowboys were in the backfield immediately. I think they had a run for zero and a run for minus one or something like that, and they kind of got some new life on a illegal contact penalty. But Zach Tom gave up two pressures. Rasheed Walker didn't give up any, and they they kept those pass rushers under wraps. and. And Jordan Love, from a talent standpoint, is as good as it gets. And when you keep a talented quarterback clean, typically they dominate, you know, from clean pockets and everything like that. So being able to do stuff like that, and they ran the ball for 120 yards uh, with Aaron Jones on Sunday, too. So you've got the ability to run it pretty much whenever you want. And then you got the ability to stand back there and, and find open receivers. The Packers, they kind of could just do whatever they wanted on the offensive side of the ball. And I heard, uh, I think it was Michael Strahan after the game said something along the lines of like, when the playoff games start, the Cowboys seem to go into like performance mode instead of play mode. Maybe the pressure there from Jerry Jones and all that stuff is just a little bit too big for them because you could tell like seven, nothing, even if something as simple as seven, nothing. And then they punt, you could almost feel like, uh Oh, like, is this happening again? Kind of thing. And then they throw an interception on their second possession and Green Bay is up 14 nothing, and they never got within two scores the rest of the game. You mentioned Jordan Love and, and the transformation, the, the emergence of Jordan Love as a, I would say, arguably top 10 quarterback and certainly in the, in the playoffs, top five quarterback, uh, maybe top three. What do you contribute that success to? He's always had the talent. I don't think that was ever a question. I think Matt LaFleur has been a perfect uh, coach for him. 
uh, to kind of get some of that stuff out of them. And really, you know, during the earlier parts of the season, there's no substitute for, for live reps. You know, so the Packers, you got three years of him sitting on the bench, and, yeah, he can learn some stuff and everything like that, but it really was just him seeing things and making those mistakes and now learning. Like, the biggest thing about Love in the early part of the year that was nice to see was he didn't really make the same mistake twice. And then in the middle of the year, when they kind of hit that lull where they got to two and five and then three and six, it was kind of questionable as to whether or not he was doing it or if they couldn't block anybody. That was definitely a big part of their early season issues. Uh, They've gotten a lot better uh, in terms of keeping him clean. They've gotten a lot better as guys being in the right spot and trusting him to make some plays. Uh, You know, I think Jason Wilde had a really good story a couple weeks ago about how they won against the Rams. And that was nice, but like Lafleur basically looked in the mirror afterwards and said, "Like I know this isn't going to cut it because they only scored 20 points, and it was kind of yucky throughout the course of the game to get to those 20 points." It feels like that first play against Detroit on Thanksgiving Day, where they hit Christian Watson for mm-hmm. 53 yards. That that seems to be like the flip of the switch where everyone's like, "Oh, like we can do this, and we are able." to make these kinds of plays against whoever it is that they're facing. Because it's not like over the last six weeks they've faced, you know, really bad defenses. Chicago, Minnesota, Dallas were all top ten by the end of the season. So those are three really good defenses. And they they only scored 17 against Chicago, but that was mostly a byproduct of their own mistakes. They could have put up 30 at least against every single one of those teams. Jacob Westendorf joining us from Packers Central in Sports Illustrated. Um the other big storyline, and this one, I don't know that we've solved this one yet, is the story uh, and the storyline of Joe Barry. He was under fire. He seems to have um, figured things out. Certainly opponents matter. What do you make of the uh, the question marks, if there are any, any anymore? Because obviously Matt LaFleur spoke very highly of his work in the last few games. Is there a Joe Barry question anymore, or is he back, basically? No, there's still a question. Uh, I mean, the last two games of the season, you could definitely say, you said opponents matter. Nick Mullins, Justin Fields, two bottom third of the NFL starting quarterbacks. One guy's actually a backup. The Dallas performance I thought was really good. Um, I know that they gave up 32 points and 400 yards passing, all that good stuff, but I really thought that was a, a byproduct of the score being 48-16 to 16 and mostly being a garbage time. But the defense, I mean, they played really well. And Barry, for it's kind of weird – Barry's defenses have had their best moments in the biggest games. You know, that 49er game a couple of years ago, that was Joe Barry's defense who yes. stepped down the San Francisco 49ers. Now, this 49ers team is better than that one that the Packers lost to two years ago, especially on the offensive side of the ball because they've got all these guys kind of hitting their peak at the same time, which is what the goal of the Packers kind of is with some of these young guys they have as well. But I think there's a you know, as many good feelings and vibes and stuff that are happening around the team and the defense and, and the offense really as well is they could just as easily lose, you know, 41 to 20 on, on Saturday against the 49ers. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. San Francisco's a juggernaut. Mm-hmm. The Packers, under the old format, just what, three, four years ago, they wouldn't have even been a playoff team a couple of years ago. The two seed would have been a bye, all that good stuff that comes with that too. So I still think there's a question. I would be. I was surprised they brought him back this year. I would be very surprised if they don't look big picture and say, you know, it took us forever to get anything going, and they still finish in the bottom third of the league in just about every category that matters. So sort of a general question, then we'll get to one about the the game on Saturday in in San Francisco, Bay Area, I should say. Um, Is this a one-year surprise, or is this a surprise for the NFL that this team 
this quickly seems to be something to reckon with. Yeah, that's a good question. I think that's one that uh, is going to be like the biggest one surrounding the team next year because this year there weren't any expectations. You know, anybody and a lot of us kind of just said the same thing. If they find the quarterback, if they find out Love is either good and the guy or he's bad and they're drafting Drake May, Caleb Williams, then it's a successful season. And the Packers have found their quarterback. I think there's no questions left about that. But there weren't really any expectations of winning the division, making the playoffs, being a contender, anything like that. Well, now, you know, you win a playoff game in Dallas, and almost regardless of how this game goes, there will be expectations next year, and there should be expectations next year. You know, Jordan Love, you said top-ten quarterback. There's an argument to be made, and a pretty good one, that since Thanksgiving Day, he's played like the best quarterback in football. Now, is he the best quarterback in football? No, not right now. There's a lot more that needs to be seen and done for something like that. But you finish that strongly with him at the helm, and he's going to be back next year. And all of these young guys that have emerged at the end of the year are coming back and, you know, theoretically getting better. Add a couple guys in the draft, free agency, all that stuff. I, this feels to me similar to, like, what the 93-94 Packers probably were, where everybody was like, yeah, they're probably not ready to win a championship yet, but you could see Favre. You can see Sterling Sharp, who they had at the time. Like, these guys are coming, and they're going to get there at some point. Uh, it's just a matter of how quickly that happens. And I think, yeah, next year is a really good uh, chance for that to take that leap. It's a good analogy to the uh, what it turned out to be a 96 Super Bowl, 96 season Super Bowl with uh, Brett Favre and Reggie White. All right, last question. You, you, were, you were dead on on the, uh, the pick on the Packers over the Cowboys. What say you Saturday nights in the Bay Area against the 49ers? Yeah, I don't. I don't feel like this. There's a running joke uh, that they used to call it in, in Ann Arbor when Ohio State used to beat Michigan like every year. They always called it the death march to Columbus or the death march from Columbus to Ann Arbor, whatever they wanted to call it. I don't think it's quite that, but the Packers have not won or really played well in San Francisco since Farm was the quarterback. They played two playoff games out there. They've lost both by double digits. Uh, they lost the two here in Green Bay by – Last second field goal full time. The 49ers are kind of the boogeyman. And the Packers need to, I think at some point, probably exercise that demon. I just don't know that they're ready to do that right now. The 49ers defense is awesome. Uh, and I do think the Packers will be able to do some things against them on the offensive side of the ball. But at the end of the day, like Christian McCaffrey, Brandon Ayu, George Kittle, Debo Samuel, they all like have these skill sets that you're like, what do the Packers struggle to match up with? Well, run game. Okay, Christian McCaffrey is one of the best backs in football. Tight ends that can make big plays. George Kittle's probably the best one playing right now. And slot receivers that make plays after catch. That's Debo Samuel. And then Brandon Ayuk, I just threw in as a bonus there. I don't think Green Bay gets blown off the field, but I have San Francisco winning, and I got it at 31-20. to 20. All right. I just look for a competitive game. This is an exciting season. This is an over, over delivery at a team that we're just trying to figure out the Jordan Love situation. That seems to have sorted itself out. Any, anything other than a blowout by the 49ers over the Packers, I will take as a Packers fan. Um, if folks want to read what you write, where can they find you? Yeah, you can type in on the tab. It's in my Twitter bio, which you can find there. X bio, I guess is what we're calling it now. Uh, at Jacob Westendorf, there's a link in there. Otherwise, it's, if you guys want to type in, it's si.com slash NFL slash Packers. Jacob, great to talk to you. Let's do it again down the road. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. little Packers hit for you there on this Wednesday edition right here on WTMJ. Now, if, uh, for the folks who are calling and saying, hey, wait a second, where's Ask Steve anything? We're going to do it next because we have to.
Every Wednesday, you get to drive the conversation, right? We do have a giveaway to give, too. I know that, Charlie. Don't, don't look at me like I forgot. I know. We have a giveaway boat show. That'll come. Don't call yet, because I will disqualify you if you call already, because I'm not ready to do that yet. So a little Ask Steve Anything. Uh, let's see what else is on earth. Yeah, we've got um, a couple other stories you might touch on briefly, but uh, we'll wrap it up, uh, and then we'll hand it off to the, the one, the only, Tracy Johnson, who's uh, doing the afternoons here for this month. And uh, a whole lot more. So get those questions ready. 855-616-1620. The WTMJ Talk and Text Line. Ask Steve anything. Next. All right. I said I was going to do it right now. 855-616-1620. So we're going to get, do a giveaway. I know there's some people that are asking questions. That's fine. Stay on the line. We'll get to them. I know it's cold outside. It's going to get warmer. Trust me. I think it's supposed to be 12 today. And- it's going to feel like 70. Just kidding. Uh, but the Milwaukee Boat Show is one of the best boat shows in the country. It's coming to the Expo Center at State Fair Park in beautiful West Dallas. Shout out to Mayor Devine. From January 19th to the 22nd and the 24th to the 28th. So two long weekends. There you can see Skipper Bud Showcase. Where you can also enter to win an HO Sports Hawaii inflatable dock. i got to see a picture of this thing. See what it looks like. If that floats your boat, so to speak, then I've got more news for you. We're giving away a four-pack of tickets right now. Four-pack of tickets to see the Milwaukee Boat Show. There's, what, two chances after today? See the best boats, boating accessories that Wisconsin has to offer. Celebrate boating, because pretty soon, before you know it, it's going to be gorgeous out. It's going to be hot, sunny. You'll have your swim trunks on, hopefully the right size, appropriate for your audience. <laughs> Just kidding. Get these tickets. Caller number, lucky number 7 to 855 Lucky number seven, just like it says, just like it sounds. Lucky number seven wins a pair. No, not a pair. Twice that. Four pair of tickets to the Milwaukee Boat Show. Two more chances to win on the program. We'll do it Thursday and Friday. All right. So the segment, a little late today because we had the great interview with Jacob Westendorf from Sports Illustrated about the Packers and their hopefully successful trip to San Francisco Bay Area, I should say, because the Stadium is not in San Francisco anymore. Um, which takes us to Tim from Appleton. Hi, Tim. Tim. Hello. Yeah, how are you, Tim? The Packer victory, good, great. Glad to, glad to be on. With a Packer victory on Saturday, what is the what is your prediction of the score, and why did they win the game? All right, so obviously we're just speculating, and we, we, we don't know what's going to happen. I, I, I didn't predict to beat the Cowboys, and we all know how that turned out. I'm going to say this, <laughs> because this is essentially a fairy tale pick, right? That what I say is not going to matter. It doesn't impact the game in, in, by any degree. I'm going to say, because I'm optimistic, Packers 24, 49ers 21. That feels like an old-school Packers 49ers game in San Francisco, doesn't it? Yes, and I would agree. We got we got to remember, 49ers have lost a few games this year. They have. Also, their quarterback and they have he doesn't run a lot. 17. So I think that's a that's that's something to take advantage of. Right, and they haven't scored over seventeen points on many of the games they lost three mm-hmm. in a row. Mm-hmm. I'm. Are you optimistic? Oh yes. All right. What's your prediction? Oh, yes. What's your prediction? I'm in the twenty-eight. 17. All right. All right. We'll see who does better. I say 24 21. You say 28. Thanks for the call, Tim, from Appleton. 28 17. It could have happened. 
Anything can happen. It's football. We've, we've been surprised before. We've also been in the other situation where we are the number one seed and we uh, wet the bed uh, a couple times in the last five years. I've gone through it all as a Packers fan. That's why I'm so reasonable and calm with my fandom. Eric Bilstead's laughing at me. That's, that is totally true. Totally, totally true. All right, we'll take another quick break here. Got to catch up after our long conversation with Jacob. Uh, you're listening, of course, to WTMJ. Now, ask Steve anything. Ask Steve anything is the segment. We got, a, we got some time left. I know we, uh, we went a little, started a little later because we were talking to uh, Jacob Westendor from Sports Illustrated, Packers Central. Great writer about all things Packers and NFL football. Um, one of the uh, text questions that's coming in on the WTMJ talking text line, um, restaurant recommendations recommendations for the Wisconsin Dells. Uh, two off the top of my head, Ishnala Supper Club is just, that is where you go. You want the experience, it's it's a cool setting, first off. Um, I would advise you to get there early because the wait's long, because it's popular and it's great. Uh, try their wine, it's fantastic. It is the classic supper club experience. There's other supper clubs in Wisconsin that are also amazing, but that one certainly stands out. You know, if you want a great dinner, though, right on the strip, sort of the strip in in, uh, Vegas, (laughs) where's my mind thinking? In the Dells, um, Fields at the Wilderness, also very, very good. Um, Some of the, and and here's the other one, I don't know the names, but some of the local, you know, just the mom and pop restaurants, check those out. Those are often the best meals. Uh, Could be a, a burger place, just you know, walk around downtown. My wife Kathy and I for um, sort of a spur of moment, for a spur of the moment in-state trip, we went to the Dells. I think we went to Ishinawa, as a matter of fact, one of the nights. Uh, and just had fun in the Dells, walked around downtown on a, I think I took a day off of work. And it was quiet. And it was one of the best ways to kind of see what the Dells is about. We hadn't been there in a long time. So experience it. But, it, you know, if you want a tremendous Wisconsin Dells experience and a great meal and a great atmosphere and great staff and everything. And, and by the way, try the wine. Uh, Ishnala Supper Club is fantastic. Don joins us from the west side. Hi, Don. Hi, Steve. Um, well, I got the question, but a little comment first. In the 1930s, the whole world was trying to figure out how the people of Germany could uh, vote for Hitler to be chancellor. Now the rest of the people of the world right now are trying to figure out how can this country uh, have Trump as the well, I mean the MAGA uh, nominee uh, to be president? Are the people of the United States that stupid to give him another chance? His coup failed. Now we'll give him another chance to have an election. And do you really think that if he loses this one, that he lost? No, he didn't. He'll be, he'll win, and we'll have the whole thing all over again. Yeah, thanks for the call, Don, and I appreciate you taking the time to call. Look, I I, I hope that, and I I think that Donald Trump's not Hitler. Let's put let's start with that. So let's start with that. Now, anyone who listens to the show knows I'm not a fan of Donald Trump. I I think he's he defines unpresidential in my mind. That being said, I know a lot of people support him, and he's got a lot of support uh, in any election he's run, and he, he'll certainly have support in this one. I still hold out hope that he's not going to be the nominee, but, you know, that will sort itself out when people vote. Not polls, votes. And he's obviously has somewhat of a reckoning that still has to happen with all the court cases that he's involved in, uh, including one today. Um, One of the texters said, uh, Don from the West Side sounds like Ron Johnson. He actually does. He could do an easy Ron Johnson, Rojo impersonation. We might have to take him up on that. Um Texter also reminds me, Ishnal is closed for the, the seasonal close. They, they, it opens in the spring, and it, it, trust me, the experience is worth the wait. Um, 
on that subject. Greg joins us from Tulsa. Hey, Greg. Hey, um, I agree with you that Ishnala has an absolutely stunning setting. Mm -hmm. But my suggestion is go there for a drink, take in the setting and the ambiance, but don't eat there because <laughs> it tends to be pricey. It's pricey. The food is, That's because it's good. I think the food is amazing. Time. Well, it is, but you wait a long time. I know. And then once you get there, you pay a bunch, and they kind of rush you when you eat. But there's a downtown Baraboo supper club called Clint's. Clint's. So have your drink at Ishnala, take in the ambiance, but then drive to downtown Baraboo, just a hop, skip, and a jump away, and go to Clint's Supper Club. Let me Tell me about this Clint's place. I've never heard of it. It is, picture the quintessential um, small town bar supper club that's not your tourist attraction. It's not your destiny, you know, it's not your, it's not Ritz and Glitz. It's old school supper club that's for the small town in-towners. All right. Of course, you'll be welcome there. And the food is a lot more reasonably priced, every bit, if not more delicious, and without the long, long waits and rush. All right, so thanks for the call. I mean, Clint's probably owes us uh, something for that commercial right there. From and Greg is very enthusiastic supporter of Clint's. Hopefully he's not a family member or something like that, trying to get a free commercial in there. Um, some quick ones before. i got to get to another break because I, I took too much time in my first segment. Um, when the Packers, this is from the 414, I think. Where, where am I at? 414, yes. Uh, no, actually, nine two zero. When when the Packers reach the Super Bowl, are you going? I've been to one. I never say never. Um, this one's in Vegas too, which is whew, that would be something. Let's let's worry about that when they win the NFC Championship game. Then I'll start thinking about it. But I, would I go to Vegas for the Super Bowl? Yeah, and I have a friend who actually did some of the work on the building of that stadium who might be able to get me uh, some tickets. So you got to call in the favors. That's what we do. All right, we're gonna take a break. Got a great question about honor flights. I'll do my best to answer, but I'm actually going to make a connection for the uh, the texture who asked about the honor flight so they can ease that process. Ask Steve Anything on WTMJ. Ask Steve Anything. Any question for our game, you uh, pick the topic and the question, and I'll do my best to answer it. Politics, culture, entertainment, sports, you name it. I'll, I'll do my good old best to answer. Uh, this one came in from the uh, WTMJ Talking Text Line, 920 how do I get my dad, a Navy vet, on an honor flight? He separated service in 1973. Thanks, Rob and West Alice. Um, if you go to starsandstripeshonorflight.org, they actually have an uh, apply to fly uh, tab on the website. It's starsandstripeshonorflight.org. Uh, and there's a veteran application, guardian application. I can actually donate to the Stars and Stripes. And as you all know, um, our own John McCure, very involved as a director, one of the directors of the uh, Local chapter of Honor Flight does a fantastic job. Goes out to D.C. I think three times a year, maybe four. Um, our own Brandon Snide, big-time sports guy, former producer. He's been on a couple uh, as a former veteran. I guess you're not a former veteran. You are a veteran. Um, Serviceman. Um, so that's a quick answer. I have been a guardian. I was a guardian for a uh, – it was a great experience. He's now passed, but uh, – he was a Vietnam vet who wanted to see the wall, and uh, I'll cry if I start talking about it, so I'm not going to talk about it. But it was a great experience. And if you have a chance to be a guardian for your family member or someone that uh, that you care about, do it. It's it's an absolutely life-changing experience. And if you've never been to Washington, D.C., I always tell people this. Go as a tourist and see 
that city. I know that Washington, D.C. gets a lot of grief and a lot of it's baloney and nonsense. It's a breathtaking city to take in. I took my wife there for the first time in in uh, last May, and then we were blown away. And you see the White House, and you and, you, and go to Mount Vernon, which is absolutely incredible, and uh, the you know the home of the first president of the United States, George Washington. There, there are unbelievable places in and around Washington D.C. I, whether you're going on honor flight or not, go see our nation's capital and the area around that is is absolutely spectacular. Jack joins us from Fort Atkinson. Hi, Jack. Good uh, morning. Good morning. I, um, first of all, don't ever feel bad if you have to cry talking about a vet. Yeah. So somebody, uh, I am a vet also. My question to you, Thank you. was, um, was uh, what would you think about, De- or what would Devontae Adams think about seeing he's not a Packer anymore if he wished he still was, and your feelings, um, uh, what he would think about the, what the Packers are doing now? Great question, Jack, and thanks for taking the time to call. I think he said he's probably... Feels a little left out and jealous. I can't even imagine how good this team would be with Devontae Adams. There's actually a good and bad answer to this question. So I think his leadership, his ability would certainly rub off on some of our young players. But here's the deal on that. We saw this year the rise of some of these unbelievably talented young receivers. There's the, the bad side of the Devontae argument, stick, uh, Devontae Adams argument and him sticking around is we might not have seen that development this year. We now have one of the deepest receiving core in the, in the entire NFL. From Melton to Wicks to Watson to Reed to, you know, Tucker Craft. I mean, Romeo Dobbs. It's, it's absolutely incredible. And uh, again, Kudos to the Packers organization, Brian Gutekunst, general manager, Matt LaFleur. If we if we lost our support of those folks during the season, I think they've gained it all back, plus some. So I think he'd be a little sad if he was honest about it, because I think there would have been a great opportunity here. And if he could be the star receiver and still have the development of those young receivers, how good could this team be? Well, the answer might be they might go to the Super Bowl. All right, we still got time to get some questions. Ask Steve anything. We'll take a quick break here. Still a chunk of time. What's your question? Ask it after this. A couple quick ones on Ask Steve Anything. When will you have a segment on the additional fee fans have to pay for streaming NFL football games? We'll, we'll get to that one probably next week. Obviously, when we get into the uh, you know the championship games, Super Bowl time, we, we do I do a lot of football content. Um, sort of the other side of football, not just the games part, because we have ESPN 94.5 for all the sports stuff. Just the, some of the impact of these big games on communities, some of the challenges of the new tech, technological environment for viewers and consumers of sports. I'll probably do something that in the uh, next couple weeks. Um, Texter asked, 262, when are we going back to your show being called the Steve's Graffiti Show? We'll have news on that in a couple weeks about the uh, the transformation that's going to happen and some of the new exciting things that are happening here at WTMJ. So that's a tease in the radio biz, and I'll have to leave it at that. Uh, let's see. When, this is a great question because I, I haven't answered this one. When are you coming out to Arizona for spring training? I have never been to spring training. I've been to Arizona a bunch of times, mainly when I was working in the private sector. But I've never been for spring training. It's something on my bucket list. So when, and there's no answer to this question, when I retire, I think my wife, Kathy, and I will probably spend like, a, I hopefully spend a week out there, maybe visit friends, uh, go to a couple of Brewers games, kind of hang out in the wintertime. That's the way to enjoy it. But um, 
They'll probably wait a couple of years. Brewers aren't going anywhere. They're always going to go to Arizona for spring training. Uh, a couple other quick, a lot of uh, Packers questions. Uh, I, my prediction was 24-21 over, over the 49ers. I get it's wishful thinking. Uh, I have no inside knowledge, insider knowledge. They're pretty healthy. Aaron Jones has been on a tremendous run. Obviously, we all know the Jordan Love story. He's just been one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL over the last eight to ten weeks. I don't expect that to change. And for all the folks who say, well, San Francisco's, they've got a great defense. So did Dallas. They were top five in everything. The Packers scored 48 points against that top five defense on the road in what is supposed to be a tough place to play. So you answer the question for me. San Francisco's a different crowd. It's a crowd that also will turn on their team very quickly. I lived in San Francisco, and I lived there for the first Super Bowl with Joe Montana. I know what it's like. And that was a different era. I know that we have been uh, sort of the victims of some 49 success in the last decade or so, but everything changes. We own them in the Brett Favre era, so everything changes. Maybe we will own the 49ers, wishful thinking again, in the Jordan Love era, which God bless the rest of the teams, the NFC North, they got to be shaking their heads. Their fans, oh my goodness. The Packers, have they done it again? The answer to that question, more than likely, yes.